as we have been lighting the candles, hope, love, joy, peace this morning. You can guess what the message is on, uh, peace. <laughs> and uh, we will begin, uh, we will use the scriptures that we uh, used this morning in our reading from Luke chapter 2. I'm just going to focus on verses 13 and 14 this morning. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll start in the word together. Father, we thank you that we can come and open your word. And we ask now through your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts and our minds that we can hear you and, and that in hearing you, you will impact our, our lives. Words that we've heard possibly many times could speak new messages through your Holy Spirit this morning. And we just ask that you would minister to us, speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we pick up with that heavenly host, the, 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 the angels coming to sing the praises to God. So, it's verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. We go from verse 9 to verse 13. Verse 9, if you look back at it, was, And an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now the angel says, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news of great joy. Okay, And the good news being the gospel message, and them not really understanding fully all of that, but catching the glimpse of the idea is that, oh, this is the special birth we've been waiting for, the special person we've been waiting for, and they're certainly excited about it. Now, if one angel appearing, and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them, that's the idea of the Shekinah glory that was around the temple. So I have to imagine in my mind, having not seen it but seen pictures of it, uh, that people rendered as to what they think it looks like, it's got to be amazing because I don't think we could ever capture it in man's ability of art to, to really give us the full glory of it. So it's going to be something that's amazing. And that's what was around this angel. And so you can imagine how unbelievably awesome and, and, and glorious it was. And you can understand why they would be afraid. But then I'm thinking, it doesn't say that they were afraid again, but maybe because there's a supernatural peace running at this time because all of a sudden it says a multitude. Multitude means a lot. Okay, some people say, what's a multitude? Is it a hundred? Is it a thousand? Or is it thousands upon thousands? And most of the time we say thousands upon thousands. The, the, the sky was filled is the important picture here, I think. So, from an angel of the Lord appearing to them to a multitude of the heavenly host, which means more angels, lots of them, uh, and it says, suddenly. So, just as, as uh, suddenly as the first angel it just it bursts on the scene. It's like they were there already and then just made visible. I don't know. I can't explain it. It's supernatural. We're talking about a miracle, a supernatural act of God of making visible His, His angels to a, to a group of people. Uh, and Because we're told the angels can be around us at any given time and He could even minister to one if God chooses to reveal them. And we might not even know it that one has ministered to us. So, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. God made it known. Here they are, the heavenly host. This is God's day in a sense. And He's just everything. And, you know, what they're, they're saying is, is just amazing too. So, suddenly, and, and like I said, I, get, I just put here, I can only imagine. And it says, 
praising God, which means to worship Him. They were worshiping Him and then saying. So I don't know whether they were singing. I think that's what they were doing. They were singing and, and then they, they, they break and they are saying. Now, it doesn't say that one of them speaks out as the spokesperson. It just says, and, you know, and saying. They were praising God and saying. And maybe this was part of the praise that was going up. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. This is extremely important that you keep this phrase in mind as we go through the rest of this this morning. And then, adding to it, and on earth, glory to God in the highest, in all of heaven, if you will, to the highest. There's no, there's no one higher than God. And some people say, in the highest meaning in heaven, I think it's in the highest meaning in rank. But that's my way of seeing it, and I know I'm not the only one. So, uh, we look at that, glory to God in the highest, and then bringing it down to a very specific thing, Listening to, remembering, this is the shepherds that are hearing this. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. And again, that whole phrase is extremely important. I don't know how many Christmas programs and, and Christmas cards and, and different things that I see that say, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And the goodwill towards men is one interpretation, but I think it's too loose and and the more specific interpretation of that phrase is peace among those with whom he is pleased. And it's important to see that. It's not just peace on earth, goodwill towards men from us being nice to one another. This is something, again, supernatural that's going on here. And it says, and so when you look at this and it says, with whom he is pleased, I have to say, is he pleased with everyone? That makes a sad statement here in the midst of a great joy. This peace is not for everyone. Because not everyone will receive Christ. This peace is bent on receiving Christ. So don't, don't leave that out of the picture. But it's, I was thinking, how do we please God? And somebody would say, well, we receive Him as our Savior. But I was thinking well, the way the Scripture describes it. And in Hebrews 11.6 it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and rewards those who seek Him. And so, we have to, in order to please God, we have to have faith in Him. And our faith in Him comes based on Jesus Christ. Jesus made it absolutely clear, no one comes to the Father but through Me. So, all of this is tied together within our Christmas message. That, that the reality is, is, as we put this all together, we, we don't just focus on one part of it. We have to bring it all together and understand the men in whom we are well pleased are those who were waiting for, seeking, and in hope for the Messiah, looking for the joy, the peace that, uh, that, that, that the Scripture said was going to come with Him. And so here they are being told, good news, great joy, gospel, good news, great joy, peace, hope, all of this tied together here. And again, this peace is based on those who have faith. You know, the, the, the ones, and that's how you please God. Without it, you cannot please God. And somebody says, well, what if I, if I was uh, all of a sudden very, very wealthy and I gave half my wealth to, to build uh, wells in Africa and, and do this, 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 and this? Wouldn't that be pleasing to God? 
And I would have to say that I don't know that God would, would say how, that that was an ugly thing you did. And he might say it's an awesome thing that you did. But it's not has nothing to do with you being in relationship with him. The poorest person, the most wealthy person, must come by faith through Jesus Christ in order to please God. This picture, too, is that we agree with the angel's declaration. Uh, in order to, to be at peace with God, this idea of our faith is that we are prepared to recognize there is only one God. Glory to God. We, that's part of our faith. We believe that every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And at a point in time in history, future history, that will indeed happen. But for the moment, it's all who have faith and sight unseen, if you will, seeing through the mirror dimly, so to speak, and looking and seeing and having faith. This is my Savior. This is my Lord. This is the Creator of the universe. And He loves me. He died for me. Glory to God. And, and, and again, it's glory to God in the highest. There's none higher. He is, there's nothing above Him. And, and all the other gods that people worship are actually not gods at all, so there's only one God. And, and He alone stands in that position of Sovereign Creator, God, Savior of the universe. So He alone is worthy of our praises. Nothing before Him in our esteem as we look at things that we esteem. We can turn around and say, and this is hard to, to, to come at this point and say something like this, that if I don't love God first, I can't love my wife well. Does that make sense to you? Somebody in the world, they're saying, well, you know, this is your, you know, your spouse or your children and you love them more than anything. No, we can't. We must first esteem glory to God in the highest. We love Him first. And because we love Him first, because we have our faith in Him, we are now able to love our children, our, our spouses, uh, our neighbors, and even our enemies in a way that we could never do without Him. And so... He is preeminent in all things. So glory to God is a necessary part of our worship. Now, as we look at this idea of peace, and I, I just put, you know, where's the peace? And even in the song we sang, you know, looking around, you know, uh, and I was reading on the song, uh, the, the, the Bells on Christmas Day, and uh, I heard the bells you know, and, and, and the person in the, towards the end of the, about one verse from the end is saying, but there is no peace on earth. You know, where is it? And the cannons were roaring and all this stuff. By the way, that was written at the end of the Civil War. And the war was still going in the South. And, and, and so it was the idea is, with all that's going on and the division and the chaos, where's the peace? The peace is in God. The peace is in a, this, and it's implied in a personal relationship. It's, the idea is, God is the source, not man. Man's not going to create the peace. God is the peace. And as I was reading this article about that song, I was thinking, God is the peace. And I realized, and, and I, go, bear with me for a second, in my, the way my logic works. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, people will say, love, 
He's, you know, okay. I believe the way that is actually written, the fruit of the Spirit is love manifested in eight ways. With peace, joy, kindness, you know, this type of thing, patience, all the things that are related to that. Okay. God is love. Therefore, the character trait of peace is His. It starts with Him. So He is peace. He is love. He is joy. The nation of Israel, as we look at them at this time of Jesus' birth, they were wanting peace. They were looking for a Messiah to bring peace. Why? Well, there's a lot of things going on in their world around them. They were occupied by Rome. They were at the mercy of the, the, the Roman soldiers at any given time as far as serving them. They were almost like slaves in a sense as far as Rome was concerned. They were to serve. And, and it goes as far as to, and you've heard this before, if a Roman soldier asked uh, to you, you were walking down the road, even if you were going the opposite direction and, and had been walking for a long time, it wouldn't make any difference. If he had a load and he asked you to carry it, you would have to carry it to his destination. No argument. It was the way it was. Okay? They are occupied people. Uh, they're occupied by Rome. They also they're, they're, they, they had King Herod, who was a corrupt and murderous man, uh, and and so uh, you know, and he was even appointed by Caesar. Basically, I mean, he was the, he was in in relationship with Caesar as far as as moving along. The Jewish leadership itself, outside of the king, was the the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were corrupt at this point in time. And people say, well, all of them? No, not all of them. But as a whole, they had come into a system that was focused on them. And, and they liked it that way. And they could manipulate the system. They'd gotten good at it so that they didn't have to share, give, or even minister to their parents, which is a given in the Old Testament. They said, oh, I can't do that. My stuff is all committed to ministry. Or all committed to, to, to the work of, of, of the, the temple. Or the work of the synagogue. And since I'm part of that, it's committed to me. So they had a, a, a leadership that was in hypocrisy. If you read Matthew chapter 23, there was the seven woes that Jesus spoke. And I'm just going to uh, repeat uh, one of the last ones. It was, Woe unto you, scribe, Pharisees, hypocrites. That's a strong word to a Jewish person that is in a religious role. Hypocrite. That means you are not what you say you are. For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful. At the time of Passover and stuff, they would go and clean up the, the tombs. They actually whitewashed them. And it was a part of their, their getting ready for Passover. And so, uh, they, and so the tombs would be, what? Outwardly beautiful. But within them, they're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. For a Hebrew, any Hebrew, but especially a scribe or a Pharisee, to touch a dead person or a bone of a dead person 
was to become immediately unclean. And they'd have to go through all sorts of, of ritual, if you will, to get right again before they go into a temple or into a synagogue. And so, this was a very specific thing that Jesus was saying to them. You, you guys are absolute hypocrites. And then finally he says, uh, that I'm thinking is, is that at this time of Jesus' birth, there was absolute chaos in Israel and, 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 and where in, in that specific area of Israel because in order to, to meet the census obligations, the Jews had to return to their ancestral home. By the way, I, I've shared this before, but it's that miracle that's working here at, at the same time. Caesar's desire to know how much money he's going to have to spend required getting money from the people and the taxes, and he wanted to say, okay, how much tax money am I going to have? Caesar, not like a, a, a lot of other people that have heavy taxation, the idea was I want to know how much I can spend and maybe even spend it a little ahead of time see if I can, based on what I hope I'm going to get. Well, this way he could have a better picture of it. So he said, you know, here we go. Well, for the Jews, for that, for that census to be taken for them, they had to return to their hometowns. So you can imagine, in addition to the fact that the Romans' occupation... Herod the king is a, is a corrupt and murderous man. The, the, there's a hypocrisy within the framework of the religion. And the people are on the road. They're all going to their, to their ancestral homes. Uh, now, for some, that would be the place that they already lived, that they never moved. But for Joseph and Mary, they lived in Nazareth. Their ancestral home, Bethlehem, city of David. Joseph and Mary, both in the lineage of David. And so, as a result, that's where they had to go to register. God used the greed of Caesar, 1,500 miles away or so from in, 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 in Rome, to get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem because there would have been no other reason to do it. So, you see how God is in His sovereignty? How it is glory to God in the highest? He, he there's... It's his plan, and his, it says it in Isaiah in, in 9 7. We've talked about it before. His zeal will accomplish this. He's, his purpose is going to be accomplished, period. What he says in his word is going to happen. If you want to read ahead into Revelation and other prophetic pictures and see the end, it's going to happen. And he is going to what? Come again for his church. It's, it's an awesome picture that we can have this confidence in. But he, So even here in the midst of all this turmoil and what Israel would like to see happening for them, God was working His greatest miracle. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1.14, the Word became flesh. That was necessary for everything to come to be the way God planned it. A plan before the foundation of the world to save his bride, his church, his people. Israel was looking for peace, but it was, I guess you would call it a, I put it down here as a national peace from God. In other words, it's, God will bring this person up, raise him up, and we'll have a, a, a new leader, and he will kick the Romans out. That was the picture. And the disciples actually thought that was part of the picture too. 
In fact, even after his death, burial, and immediate resurrection, they still had that idea in their mind because just before he ascended to heaven in Acts, it says, oh, are we going to go do Jerusalem now? <laughs> you know? And he says, no, no. Yeah, you're going back to Jerusalem, though, but to pray and to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, the power that I promised you. So, this was a common expectation. There was going to be a peace that would come from God uh, through this messianic person, this Messiah. They didn't think of the Messiah as the Son of God. They saw Him as a, as a heroic figure, though. So, they were looking for national peace, not personal peace with God. And most of the Jews didn't recognize themselves as having a personal peace. It was a collective thing. I'm a Jewish person, therefore. And I'm part of this people, therefore. And, and what God is saying is it's very personal. It's through Christ and Christ alone. Israel was looking for national peace. They were not looking for a personal peace. Again, peace with God among those whom He is well, or who He is pleased. Uh, I'd like to look uh, at Hebrews uh, chapter 15. Verses 20 and 21. This is a kind of a, a, a prayer in, being offered by the writer of Hebrews. And it says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will working in us, that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, this idea of pleasing God by the work we do. But notice what is, is, is in the picture here. Uh, is, is this idea of, of the God of peace. The God of peace. An attribute of God. And it's demonstrated through the death, the birth, the death, and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so our response to God is, is like it's shown here in verse 21, is wanting to do His will, the desire to please Him, giving Him glory forever and ever, which is a reference to eternal life with God. If we come to peace with God through Jesus Christ, there is begins a transition in who we are. God is starting a new work in us. And by the way, according to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He has every intention of completing it. And so far, we see that He does what He says He's going to do. So, we can count on the fact that He's going to complete the work in us that is necessary to cause us to be the people of God He wants us to be. And I find myself sometimes, maybe you've done the same thing. You've judged somebody who's walking with the Lord and you're thinking, boy, that's not very Christ-like. And it's easy to do. And it's, it may be that God's calling to, for you to come to that person and talk to that person. But the other side of it is, that person maybe is ahead of you someplace else in their walk. We're not all at the same place. 
We want to make it legalistic. Here's step one. If you've accomplished that, now you go to step two. Well, some people start at step three and then finish. You go back to step one. You know, uh, it's it's where you are that God reaches in and grabs a hold of you, opens your eyes to His gospel, the good news, and as a result, you know, you find yourself saying, "Oh, wait, who is this?" Well, if this is true, I, how do I get to know Him? Well. I'll either go to talk to someone who says they, they, that, they're, that they're familiar with that process or I'm going to start with something that maybe my grandmother in my case shared with me. My grandmother used to read the, the Scriptures uh, when I would wake up if I had a nightmare. She had a rocking chair next to my bed and she would read my Scriptures, read her, the, her Scriptures to me. And I knew that there was something special to her. Uh, I watched her in church. I watched her at home. And she was... The, the, a godly woman. And so, even though I had no desire to be a church person at that point in time, I, s- I had a good example. I had somebody to look to. And, uh, you know, she was at peace with God. And she found His Scriptures to be the source of getting to know Him and getting to know what He... We, what she, he would have her do. I mean, how often do we find ourselves saying, I wish I knew what the will of God was in reference to. And we'll have some particular thing that we're doing. When we are ignoring the will of God in things that we already know. We've read it and we're just saying, oh, that's not that important or that's not that big of a deal. But they're the little things that are foundational that change us. That So when it comes time to see bigger decisions, they actually come easier. And I really believe that's true. We find, like I said in our response here in, in, in Hebrews 15.21, we're wanting to do His will. We're wanting to please Him, giving Him the glory forever and ever. And this peace grows as we seek to know Him. Uh, and I thought the best Scripture I, I could come up with to, to help me with that was in chapter 1 of, of, uh, in the beginning of First Peter. Peter's writing uh, uh, to those who are elect exiles. In other words, they're saved people of the dispersions of Pontius, uh, in, in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He's writing to these people that have been dispersed. They've been through, you know, some people would say in a sense, and, and I'm, I'm using this phrase in an absolute, you know, descriptive way, hell on earth. They have been through a lot. They've been forcefully moved from their homelands and into foreign countries. That was the way the Romans got, broke things up as, as they moved people around and, and, and they, they were able to contain rebellions that way and, 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 and check, put it in check, if you will. And the end result was just that they were scattered all over the place. And so Peter, writing to those that are, are believers, that are scattered all over these places, uh, he says, you know, that that according, you know, that uh, all of this was part of God's plan. And there's a sanctification of the Spirit that you're looking for, and it comes through obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood. In other words, finding the things that God wants you to do and being obedient to those things. 
is, is the process of sanctification. We are sanctified. We are being sanctified. We will be sanctified. I, I don't know how else to say it. Because it's a process that is already done in God's eyes. It's being done now. And it was done at the point of the cross. I, I just I look at it all and I say, wow, it's confusing. But then I just turn around. It's a process for each and every one of us. God is changing the way we look at the world. The way we think. The way we see people. And, and it's not supposed to be something that happens like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm a believer now. I go to church and that's how I view the world. It's a process that it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going on and on and on. Uh, because perfection is something that doesn't happen in this life, in this flesh. And so Peter says we're in this process of, of sanctification. And then he asks, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. How much grace do I need? Well, I, I, His grace saved me, so I've got enough, right? No, His grace has to do with my relationship with you, with Him, with my family, uh, and working through me. And so it's part of the sanctification process. His grace actually grows. My understanding of it is changing, hopefully, on a regular basis. So that I actually can read Scripture and say, oh my, how did I not see that? Or full of, full of uh, Mr. Uh, Yong and, and, and Yong, I can't remember Yong <laughs> from Korea, and, and as he was explaining uh, the, the Bible, he says, and then one day you're looking over here and you say, "Oh my goodness, that goes with this over here. I never saw that before." And you're, and you're tying scripture together and realizing that God's saying things over and over and over again in order to show who He is what He wants us to do, and how He wants us to relate one to another and into the, in a world that's fallen. It's amazing. It's a, it's, it's, he, he's done this systematically. It's, it's there. He's made it happen. The foreknowledge of God put all of this together in a plan. And, and so He's seen that grace may be multiplied to you and that peace may be multiplied to you. And I'm thinking again, when I became at peace with God in reference to my salvation, I didn't have a clue as to what I had just done, really. be honest with you, because I had been doing work for a, a bookstore, making uh, fixtures and stuff for them in exchange for credit. Uh, they paid the materials, but my labor, they gave me credit with their bookstore. That helped them and it helped me because I was looking. I was really trying to figure this out. Of course, they were looking books. And they were Pentecostal. And, and so I really expected when I got baptized, I was going to come up out of the water speaking in tongues. I didn't know that the church I was going to, if I had done that, they'd have put me under the water again. I'm not saying that speaking in tongues is not part of today. Uh, I'm just saying that, that, that uh, it, it's not that way it happens. Okay, But I didn't know anything. So God's in the process. I'm a, you know, I'm a babe in Christ and, and, and I'm having to just go on milk. And then finally one day I get a piece of, the, of, of solid food and I'm saying, oh, that's pretty good. Give me more. That's what He's doing in us. That's the process of sanctification. The desire to know Him better. To know Him more. And so Peter says, you're going to grow in grace and peace. The grace, God, you're going to see God's grace in a bigger and bigger way. Every time we share communion, we see God's grace, His mercy, you know, and the cost of the peace 
of being at peace with God. That's the primary picture here. Being at peace with God. If we're not at peace with God, we will never be successful at being at peace with each other the way He wants us to be. The last scripture I have this morning that I want to share with you is out of Colossians chapter 1. Uh, verse 9, actually verse 9 through 14. Uh, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of... Here we are again, increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The context of an understanding of our peace is just that. We have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. We are at peace with God. Ephesians says at one point we were enemies with God. Not because I was some, from a worldly way of looking at it, evil, wicked person. I could have been a really nice person, but I was an enemy with God because I didn't see Him as glory to God in the highest. In fact, quite candidly, I, 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 had, I had that agnostic view of God in the sense that He's there. He may even actually have put everything into motion and, 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 and so because there has to be a first cause out there someplace. But I was extremely general about it. And that made me an enemy. I was preaching a false gospel. Anybody that wanted to, to talk with me and, and, and all this type of stuff, where I learned that from, that's what a false gospel is. Something that gives you hope or, or, or instruction and direction but doesn't lead you to God. Kind of broad term for the false gospel, isn't it? I think that's what it's supposed to be. I think we all too often look at it and say somebody's false gospel is a religious book of some kind. But anything that leads away from Christ and tells you there's peace, and man, there's a whole lot of that in the li- in the in the library and at the bookstore still, and in a sense there's whole sections on it of of, of thousands of, of books and authors telling you how to be at peace. If it ignores glory to God in the highest, it's not from God. And it's therefore a false gospel. It's not good news. The gospel is simply the word good news. Paul's prayer for the believers here in Colossians He said that you'll be filled with knowledge of His will. Reading, uh, I I put in my own thing here, reading, hearing, studying His Word uh, is is part of that. Being filled with the knowledge of His will. Reading the Scriptures, uh, you know, uh, hearing uh, the preaching and and sharing of the Word like we are this morning together. Uh, And then, you know, your personal study of the Word. Uh, is all part of the process that's necessary for us to be filled with the knowledge of His will. And someone 
may have a, a far more mature knowledge than I because of the walk that they've had with Christ and the, and the, and the way Christ has been able to minister and the way that that person has yielded to Christ in areas that I've still closed. Again, we're not trying to make an, a, 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 a everybody the same. What we're saying is that God works in ways to get each of us to where He wants us. And He says He will complete that work. We are to ask for spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. That means when I read the Word, I want the spiritual truth to speak to me, the Spirit of God to speak to me, the Holy Spirit to work in me. If we are believers, when we become born again, when we become saved in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. It's an appropriate thing to pray, Lord, open my eyes as I read the Word and pray it every time we do. It doesn't have to be an hour-long prayer. It can be, open my eyes as I read, Lord, thank You. I call those like bullet prayers. You know, it doesn't, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's just the reality that I'm acknowledging. This is His Word, and I'm not going to understand it without His help. And I want to grow in it. I want to know more. The result, if I am doing this, there is a result that will happen. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, full, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Meaning accomplishing His work. Increasing and growing in our knowledge of God. The process of sanctification. As we look at, again, in, in, in Colossians chapter 1, just the, the verses 11 uh, through 14. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you uh, is, is some of the manuscripts has qualified us, but it's, it's the church. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In light. Versus how? Darkness. There's the two in contrast. It's automatic. You see the word light? It's the opposite of dark. And he says we're, we, we are in light. The saints in light. That's who we are. Now, I look around the world today and there's a lot of unrest and there's a lot of, for lack of better words, darkness. Okay, That's not... And, and there's a lot of, of there's a lack of peace. I was reading the other day in 4,000 year written history, uh, 200 plus just just under uh, it's under 300, 280 some years uh, that they they don't have uh, knowledge of wars going on out of 4,000 years. And and I read the article uh, that paralleled that, and that is probably because we just didn't find the records. In other words, history is full of man against man, man seeking peace in his way. That's, that's not God's way. And so we look at this. Uh, we are to give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in His inheritance the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. I was in darkness. It's hard for me to receive that because I have to tell you, I thought I was enjoying my life pretty well. And I really thought things were going well. I didn't realize how well they could go and what being in Christ would mean. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He opened the door to His kingdom. He's redeemed us. He has forgiven us. To redeem us is to purchase us. Uh, and, and, and that redemption was the price of our sins. The redemption price on your soul is the price of your sins. What are the wages of our sins? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. So, Jesus, in our place, died for our sins. He redeemed us, forgiving us of our sins. This is the basis of our peace. His work, not ours. What we do is we humbly come with a faith that says this is true. His Word. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That God raised Him from the dead. And that He has received me as His child and I am saved. Because I have placed my faith in Him. You can look at the back of our bulletin and put it all together through that, which is called the Roman Road, just a number of scriptures out of the book of Romans that would say all the same things that we just said. I have peace. The idea of this sermon was peace in contrast to conflicted. To be, in con- to be conflicted is to be unsure about something, how it's going to happen, to not be having peace. To be conflicted is to be have, is the absence of peace. We're not to be confused about the Word of God. And so, people, you know, the idea is to say, do I fully understand it? No. And even when we're face to face, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the people that just say we're not going to have all knowledge immediately opened up to us. What we're going to see is clearly God and His plan, and we're going to understand it in a way we never did. But because He's eternal and we're finite, we have a beginning, and He has no beginning. He's been forever. I think we're going to be constantly, all through eternity, looking at Him and finding a new side of Him constantly. No wonder they sing and worship and praise Him all the time. As we go to communion... Just remember this morning. He opened the door to our salvation. He opened the door to His kingdom. He knocked. And He says, anyone who opens the door, I'll come in. Now, I use that almost evangelistically thinking that, you know, a non-believer, but that really is written to believers. And so, this morning as we approach communion, think of it in this terms. Every time we take communion, I believe He is knocking. And as we share communion, we're saying, come. Come in, Lord. It's not that the... We're, be sure you don't get into the idea that I'm thinking the, the bread turns to the, the body and, the, and the, the grape juice turns to the blood. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that they represent, they symbolize. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He paid the price for our sins. The wages of sin is death and He paid it. He went to the tomb. He rose. And He's coming again. And all of that is tied because He even says, 
do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me until I come again. I'd ask the ushers to come and uh, uh, pass the communion out. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together. Found. He is my light, my strength. 